This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. India is an amazing mission field. Just like every country, India needs Jesus. In fact, India is the birthplace of modern missions, like the way that we currently do missions in our world, like um, sort of how uh, in, a few, in a year or so, the Thailand team are going to go to Thailand and do like an international mission. India was the birthplace of modern mission. Uh, India always needs Jesus. In fact, even now more than ever, the current political party actually, um, if you know like Compassion Child Sponsorship, the current um, political party in India actually banned compassion from working with young people in India. It was like 250,000 kids in India were getting sponsored by Christians around the globe and they just cut it, they just banned it, they said no more because of the caste system. In India they believe in things like, um, what do you call that, Uh, karma, world karma, incarnation, all those things like that and the idea being if those kids were born poor, It's because they did something wrong in their last life and they deserve to be poor. And so no one should help them because being poor is their punishment. Who knows that country needs Jesus? Birthplace of modern mission. It all started with this man, William Carey. They call him the father of mission. In 1787, this man, trained as a shoemaker... You know, uh, my family has a long line of shoemakers in it. My, uh, my uh, great-granddad on my grandmother's side was a shoemaker, and then I went through our book, um, my pop, my pop on my pop side, he has like this book, and it's all written in Dutch, but I was able to get my phone out and translate it, and it goes back, it goes back so far, and I was looking all through the list of names, and, and it was like shoemaker after shoemaker. Can you believe it? Shoemakers in my family. And then I went back like, I went back like, oh, probably, probably over 10 generations, maybe 12 generations, 13 generations. And there was one, there was one person who was an elder at their church. Now, there's not many Christians in my family, but I thought, wow, 13 generations ago, I had a great, 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 great grandfather who was praying for his family in the future. Trained as a shoemaker. And as a young man, he got the courage and the idea that the gospel should be shared to the world, which is what I think all of us in this room today would believe. But back in that day, it wasn't such a common belief to actually think that we could have the privilege and the opportunity to share the gospel to the ends of the world. And so he started preaching that because every now and then he'd preach in his local congregation. And people would say things like, and this is an actual quote, young man, sit down. If God wants to convert the heathen, he can do it without you. If God wants to convert the heathen, he can do it without you. But this young man was bold. Sometimes it takes boldness to like change the world. Sometimes it takes boldness to do what is right. Sometimes it takes boldness. So he was bold. And undeterred, he started preaching his dream. And one of his sermons, it's a very famous quote, sort of uh, preachers quote it all the time. It says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And that was his sermon. I'm going to expect great things from God and I'm going to attempt great things for him. And so he decided his first mission field would be India. 
And so William Carey gets on a boat with his son and wife and uh, goes to India. He starts preaching Jesus and he doesn't convert anyone for seven years. He gave up everything. He gave up his shoe company. He gave up, gave up everything to preach Jesus and he saw no conversions for seven years. Then his son died of disease in India. And then his wife had major mental health issues. She actually had a mental health breakdown that she couldn't recover from. And in uh, his sort of memoirs, in his books, he says, this was indeed the valley of the shadow of death. But I rejoice that I'm here standing and God is here too. It's an interesting story. Uh, pastors and preachers and missionaries are encouraged to learn about the life of William Carey. He gave up everything to serve God in India and to spread the gospel. Really the first man to do it in that way and it changed, changed the world and it changed the way that modern Christians evangelize and do mission. It's also a warning story because uh, missionaries and preachers are encouraged to learn from this story because although he gave up everything, uh, in this day and age we'd encourage preachers and missionaries to make sure that the son and the wife absolutely knew the risks before going on the mission as well. Back in that culture, if the man wanted to go on mission, the children and kids had to come too. In this day and age, it's important that family decisions are made and everyone understands the risks. So there's a lot to learn from this man. But William Carey was not the first evangelist to India. In fact, tradition holds that the first person to bring the Jesus story to India was St. Thomas. St. Thomas of India. Where tradition states he founded seven churches. But for St. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, it was also the valley of the shadow of death. And tradition holds that during a time of prayer on a hill, which you can visit to this day, it's called St. Thomas Hill. In a time of prayer, he was slain by a spear. He was willing to give up everything to bring the story of Jesus to India. Perhaps the first time that Indian people had ever heard the story of Jesus was from this man, St. Thomas. So who is St. Thomas? Well, there is a story that made him famous. You may have heard the term Doubting Thomas, and that's who we're going to talk about tonight. This man, who tradition holds, brought the gospel to India, was a bit of a doubter, lacked a bit of faith. And that's all we ever know him as. Uh, in this sort of Baptist world, we, we would never call him St. Thomas, we'd call him Doubting Thomas. So, tonight I want to read the story of Downing Thomas, and I just want to go through it, sort of line by line, and see what we can learn, and see what we can get out of it, and see if we can be changed by the Word of God. And so I'm going to be reading from John 20, 24 to 29. If you have that, that's good. The, the, the numbers aren't going to be on the screen, so you're just going to have to trust me, but you can open it in your Bibles. This is the story of St. Thomas. He was one of the 12 disciples. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So the Easter weekend has just happened. There's been uh, Good Friday, Jesus died on a cross, and Resurrection Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And at one point, Jesus, in his risen body, goes to visit the 12 disciples. Or not 12, obviously, maybe just 11. At maybe just 10, Judas was also not there. <laughs> so... He had an accident. They're chilling in a room because 
Everyone's hunting down Christians. Everyone's hating Christians and they're worried that the authorities are going to come and kill them just like they killed Jesus. And they don't know that Jesus has risen from the dead. So they're hiding in a room and they're in the house and they've locked all the doors because they don't want anyone to come find them. They're literally hiding. They're praying. They're in, they're in, they're, it's like an underground church. They're hiding and praying and they've locked all the doors. Um, maybe 10 of them, maybe less, but Thomas certainly wasn't there and Judas wasn't there. So, you know, 10 of them. And Thomas wasn't there. And so they decide to go see Thomas and they say him say to him we have seen the lord we have seen the lord he's come and visited us we saw that we saw the nail marks we saw the we saw the gash in his side we've seen him you know jesus we've seen him he's alive he's risen from the dead and thomas says but he said to them unless i see the nail marks in his hands and i put my finger where the nails were and i put my hand into his side I will not believe. Mm. Unless I see it, I refuse to believe it. Unless I see this man and I see the nail marks for myself and I see the gash in his side, unless I see it, I will not believe. I mean, I can, I can sort of understand that. You can imagine sort of the energy in the room. Ten people telling Thomas, Thomas, all of us, we've seen him. And Thomas is sitting there going, mm, I think you're all crazy. I think you all might have this wrong. And like, Thomas, Thomas, no, seriously, it was him. You should have, he had his long hair, had his beard, it was him. Thomas is like, no, I'm going to have to see it for myself. I'm going to have to hear the timbre in his voice. I'm going to have to look in his eyes, see that they're not all blurred over. No, Thomas, it's true, he's, he's risen. Thomas is like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Thomas doesn't want to trust his friends. He says, I have to see it to believe it. Luckily, Jesus is gracious. And so a week later, all the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So he's built up the courage to go hang out with his friends, which is really good. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Uh, which is very interesting. So uh, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them. Jesus is a, he walks through walls till the walls fall or till Jesus just passes through them. Perfect. And he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Jesus rocks up and then he, he dead, death stares Thomas. Thomas, I know you'd have doubted. <laughs> and he says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Oh, can you imagine? We don't get the privilege until we pass on to our next life to see Jesus face to face. But can you imagine Jesus staring you in the eyes? Here, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. I know you said you needed that to believe. So here I am. Here I am. Go on, touch. Will you believe then? Will you believe then? I don't know uh, your testimony, how you came to meet Jesus. I'm sure we all have different stories. Often in life, I've been jealous of other people's stories. Like sometimes you go to church and you hear people's testimonies and it's like, yeah, I was, I was doing this and doing that. And then I was in a plane crash and I survived. 
and Jesus saved me and then every single person on the airplane got saved because I preached the gospel. And then I'm sitting there in the congregation like, oh, I don't have a story like that. Or people tell stories about like, I didn't grow up in a Christian family and it was just me, but then I, then I came along to a youth group and my life changed in one instant. And it's like, oh, that's such a beautiful story. Like I just grew up in a Christian family. Like I just sort of grew up believing this stuff. And I've always been jealous and I wonder, Thomas, he's sitting there and he's listening to his 10 friends tell like their testimony. We saw Jesus, we saw the stuff, we saw the stuff, we saw the, we saw the hands, we saw his hair, we saw his eyes. And Thomas is like, I wonder if he's a little bit jealous. Like, I wish I was in the room. I wish I got to see it for myself. I wish I got to see it for myself. But Jesus, being gracious, gives Thomas an opportunity to see it for himself. And so they're meeting in a room again. This time, Thomas is in the room. And Jesus comes into the room and he makes a point to go straight to Thomas and say, touch my hands, have the experience as well. And I wonder in my life when I'm jealous of other people's testimonies, like, oh, how come they got such a cool testimony? You know, they were out there um, cage fighting in the MMA and then Jesus saved them. You know what I mean? So, so jealous. But I wonder if God too is revealing himself to me in different ways. I wonder how it is that he's revealing himself, coming into the room, revealing himself to me. For Thomas, it's the physical body. Reach out your hands, put them, stop doubting and believe. Often I need to see things to believe them. I thought we'd only fill three rows tonight and then the room's full again, which is good. Maundy Thursday, I just thought the room was going to be empty. The room was full again. Easter Sunday, I thought, mm, it's holidays. People are going to be on holidays. Room was full again. I often doubt a lot. There's things I need to see to believe. It's like I'm not going to believe that people are going to show up until they actually show up. There's things that I need to get over. What else don't I believe? Uh, oftentimes, even <laughs> when I'm preparing a sermon, and in my head I'm like, this is going to make no sense tonight. Then you get a compliment at the door as someone walks on the way out, and I'm like, oh, Thank goodness, I needed to see it to believe it. There's other things I doubt. I don't know what it is you doubt that God is going to do in your life. But sometimes Jesus chooses to reveal himself to you in a way that just that you need. And he's going to say to you, stop doubting, just believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Thomas got to see Jesus. He got to touch his hands and put his hand in his side. And immediately you can imagine, my Lord and my God, wow, my Lord and my God. We don't get that opportunity. I'm going to say something slightly controversial now, but it's my opinion. And you can also talk to Pastor Johnny and Pastor Travis. But it's my opinion that the Jesus story, specifically the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection part of the Jesus story, the evidence that we have for that is good and it enables us to believe well and logically. 
we have writings from historians that weren't even Christians writing about Jesus and people believing that he rose from the dead and things like that. And also we have uh, the disciples who all decided to go and lay down their life for this man who they believe rose from the dead. And we also have uh, with the stories of 500 people seeing him risen from the dead. So we have these stories that help us believe from a logical standpoint. But the absolute truth is, if you're looking for clear, concrete, beautiful evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead, I'm sad to say, I, I don't think you're going to find it. We, in this life, don't get to put our fingers in Jesus' wounds or in his side. And the truth is, even in the next life, we won't because Jesus is in a resurrected, beautiful body just like we will be. I don't believe in this life, you and I get to do that. And some of you are sitting there going, ooh, then it's a bit of a risk to not doubt and believe. And I've gone to Bible college and I've Googled which is sometimes more effective. <laughs> and I've tried to find the evidence because I would love to just have a concrete piece of evidence that it's like I go to my atheist friend and I'm like, look, I found the nail. And they did a DNA test. And it's God's DNA. <laughs> and prove them all wrong. And I'd love to go visit one of those Catholic churches that has like a, a chip of wood that they say belongs to the cross. Sorry if you're Catholic, but <laughs> like... Don't know if I believe that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'd love to see the evidence. And I've been to Israel. And they take you to a place that they call the tomb that Jesus rose from. And they take you there and you can see the tomb. And then they say at the end of the tour, but it might not have actually been his tomb. And you, your heart sinks. I thought I was just walking in and out of this tomb that Jesus walked in and out of. Then like, oh, but it might not actually have been the tomb. We just found a nice tomb and we thought we'd say this was the one Jesus was in. And then you go to the Catholic church down the road and there's this wall with a hole in it. And basically you walk over to the wall and you put your hand in, you touch a rock. And they're like, this is the rock that baby Jesus was born in, born on. It's like the cave where he was born. And then the guy, and it's like a, it's like a pilgrimage thing. All the, all the Catholics and all the people, they go and touch the rock and have a pray and walk out. And then out to a guide says, but let's be honest, it's probably not the rock that Jesus was born on. <laughs> And we don't know where the cave was. We don't know where the inn was. We don't know where the barn was. We don't know any of this stuff. I would love the clear, concrete evidence, but you and I, we're not going to get it. So why do I believe? Well, just like Thomas, I've had a lot of friends come to me and tell me, hey, we have experienced the risen Christ. We have experienced the risen Christ. And maybe at the start, I was a little bit like, mm, I don't know if I've experienced him for myself. And it wasn't the people you'd expect, like it wasn't my youth pastor or my pastor of my church. It was always very random people who would come to me and tell me stories about the risen Christ. I remember very clearly coming to the Central Coast to a music conference and I always tell the story about Evan, um, you know, uh, taking me to see the city and buying me a meat pie and it was like this wonderful experience where I was like, I've never met a man so generous that would buy me a meat pie. Um, and I thought, wow, Jesus obviously has really moved in his life. But I remember going to a church service, the church he was attending in Sydney, it was called Embassy Church, full of islanders, like singing, just beautiful singing. And like, you know, a multicultural church, they have lunch after the service. And when I say they have lunch after the service, I mean they have lunch after the service. And I remember sitting in a room full of all the multicultural and there was so much food, including a bucket of KFC. 
That's why I have a lot of Islander friends. We love the same things. And I remember just sitting at this table with all these people that absolutely love Jesus. And I grew up in a Christian home, but it hadn't really hit me for myself. Do you know what I mean? People had told me about their experience with the risen Jesus, but I was sort of a little bit doubting. But I remember sitting in this room amongst these people so passionate about Jesus. I remember one person I call my spiritual father. Um, his name is John Riley, and the pastor of that church, Evan Pete. Um, and they were sitting at the table and I was just sitting there listening to their conversation. And they were having this deep theological Christian Bible conversation. And I wasn't engaged with it. I was just sort of sitting close enough on the table to be listening. And I just remember thinking, well, this is real to them. This is real to them. I didn't even have to be in the conversation. I just had to sit close enough to hear it. But still, it's all good to hear, you know. It's all good to hear the 10 friends telling you about Jesus. But I remember the moment that I was back at that church, at NBC Church. I had a lot of good experiences there. And the Islanders were singing this beautiful song, this beautiful worship song. And it was at the same time as the New Zealand earthquakes that absolutely wrecked Christchurch. Uh, is that right? Yeah. And um, they stopped their worship in a moment to pray for their friends and family who'd been affected by that earthquake. And oh my goodness, was it so real. Like you come to church, you hear the prayers and that. But this was like, they were praying for their friends and family who'd been through heartache and pain. And it was so real and the worship was beautiful and they're just praying. And I remember saying to myself, yeah, Jesus is here. And the moment those words came out of my mouth, my body, I was you know I was cutting goosebumps you know it was like it was like I, I started crying like just unbelievably I remember there was like this um this call at the end of the service where it was like not an altar call but it was like oh if you want prayer for this you want prayer for that but I was just like so I was just so full of tears and emotion that I just couldn't move I remember people thinking what was wrong with me and I just and it was almost as if I had touched his hands and felt his side it's almost as if Jesus wanted to reveal himself to me Jesus walked into a room of all the disciples he says peace be with you and he goes straight to Thomas he goes straight to the person who needs to see him and I pray for every person in our world who is like wanting to see the risen Jesus that he will walk in the room even if the doors are locked and reveal himself to you on another note I wonder what the differences are between St. Thomas and William Carey. And I wonder what the similarities are. Well, they both love Jesus. They're both willing to give and risk it all. Uh, Thomas, in another part of the Bible, when Jesus is talking about he's about to go and die, Thomas is like, God, I will, I'm willing to die with you. Like he was a man who was willing to die. You know, it's interesting. All the disciples were locked in a room because they were afraid of getting captured. Thomas wasn't locked in a room because he was afraid of getting captured. I wonder what that means. Was he a bit bolder than the others, perhaps? I don't know. Don't read into that too much. Just Lewis's shower thoughts. Both went to India, tradition holds. And both have had a significant impact in that nation. 
Uh, Thomas traditionally planning seven churches, and after seven years, uh, William Carey converted many, many, many people uh, after his first convert and after he baptized his first convert. He actually planted a, a theological college that trains pastors in India. So serious impact. But what are the differences? Well, one saw the risen Christ and touched his wounds. The other had not, but believed anyway. Thomas got to see and touch Jesus. And how beautiful, like the physical risen Jesus. How could you not give up your life if you've touched the risen Jesus? How could you not if you saw someone die and rise from the dead? But William Carey also gave everything up. And he believed and had had Jesus revealed to him, but in a different way. He hadn't seen and touched him, but he had faith that he was willing to give up anything for Jesus. And I don't know what it is for you. Some people think their testimony is not good enough. Oh, well, those other people, they have an amazing testimony. Let's leave the sharing about Jesus to them. Well, it's all good. I reckon Jesus would say, you know what? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that those people have a great testimony. But blessed are the people who just have a normal standard every day, grew up in a Christian home, but share the gospel anyway. Blessed are those people. Or maybe you feel like, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good talker. And I think Jesus would say, yeah, good on Lewis for being a good orator. Good on Lewis for using his gifts and skills. But blessed are the people who, without a gift of communication, share the gospel anyway. I wonder if Jesus uh, would say to the illiterate, the people that cannot read, yeah, it's good, you know, the people that read their Bible and can hear all the different words and understand all the theological concepts, but blessed are the people who can't even read and trust me and share the gospel anyway, who don't even have a chance to read the Bible, to touch the wounds and see the word of God. Blessed are those people because there's a lot of illiterate people in the world who are more passionate about Jesus and sharing the gospel than I am. Blessed are those people. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you look at your friends and you think, oh, they're just, they're just a much nicer person. And God's like, yeah, blessed are those people and good on them for being such nice people. But blessed are you. If you work past your insecurities and you work past your faults and you, and you get past your ego and you share the gospel anyway and you still have faith, blessed are you. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your mistakes. You're like, I know pastors that never made any mistakes. Well, good on those pastors who never made any mistakes. But Lewis, blessed are people who make mistakes and share the gospel anyway. Both of these men have experienced Christ, but one saw the risen Christ and touched his wounds. The other did not, but believed anyway. And Jesus says, you know, he literally says, he literally says, have you believed because you've seen me? Good. Good. Thomas went and shared the gospel to India. Good. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I cannot promise you facts and figures. I cannot promise you a shred of evidence that is good enough to convert my atheist friends. But this I will say. Blessed are you who have not seen yet believe anyway. For those of us who do believe, it's, 
for everyone in this room who does believe it's Jesus talking about you and he's talking about me. Blessed are us. We don't get to touch his wounds. But blessed are you who have faith anyway. And I encourage you. You don't need to touch his wounds. Have all the facts and figures. Have every shred of evidence to share the gospel and change a nation and change a world and change a community, change our church. You just need to have faith and believe. Let me pray and the band can come up. God, I thank you that you do reveal yourself to us when we need. God, it's, it's easy to hear all our friends talk about you and um, how they've experienced you, but God, I pray for the people in this room who would, just, who would just love to have an experience with you, and I pray that you would show up inside their room, even if all the doors are locked, uh, find a way into their heart, find a way into their mind, God, um, work past it all to reveal yourself. And God, I also pray that we wouldn't like be comparing ourselves to others and sometimes we feel like others have a better testimony. Sometimes we feel like others have more facts and figures. Sometimes we feel like others are more smart. Sometimes we feel like others are more gifted and talented. But, but I pray that we would know blessed are we who share the gospel anyway. And I pray that we would uh, know that you, God, look down from heaven and say blessed are these, these people who despite not seeing the risen physical Jesus would believe and have faith anyway. I pray for anyone in the room who is doubting. I pray that uh, they'd have an experience with you, but I pray that they would know that this journey is about faith, not about facts and figures. And I pray that they might be able to experience the blessing that we have experienced from knowing you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.